when a man has a bizarre fantasy of walking around Burger King restaurants, I love doing this show. When a man has a bizarre fantasy of walking around Burger King restaurants and lecturing the employees, is it just a horrible mental delusion? Or does it point a finger at a far deeper, far darker conspiracy? And then we travel to Denver, Colorado to take a look at a bloody crime scene that turned into a notorious haunting. Is it possible that the story of Joseph Pecora, an organ grinder who kidnapped children off the streets, even in his death, continued to torture the souls of the children? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Garbiner. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys had lots of fun this weekend. I didn't. I paid money. I paid money to go see that movie, Barbarian. Ugh. I might do a review of that at some point. I don't have time to talk about it now. First 45 minutes, awesome. And then the monster showed up. Sorry, spoiler alert if you didn't know there was a monster in it, but... Pewee, man, that... Ugh. Anyways, someone who never stinks to play stuff walking into Dead Rabbit Command right now, let's give it up for all I know. This guy's like a worker on that movie. Give it up for our latest Patreon supporter, Jake. Woohoo, yeah, come on in, Jake. Walk on in to Dead Rabbit Command. Shut that door before the barbarian monster gets you. Jake, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. Or if you, if you work on the movie Barbarian and hate me now, I totally get it. Just help spread the word about the podcast. That really, really, really helps out a lot. Now, Jake, let's go ahead and toss you the oars to the Dead Rabbit rowboat. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. Row us all the way out to Nevada. Splishity splash. Splishity splash. <laughs> Guys, I have to get rid of this rowboat. I can't think of any good sound effects. It's only been 900 and what, 50 episodes at this point. Jake is rowing us out to Nevada. Specifically, we're going to Tonopah, Nevada. In Tonopah, Nevada, we're about to meet this guy. His name is Bunhein. His name is Bunhein. That, that's the name he goes by online, right? You figure, okay, that's a made-up name, Jason. Obviously, no one, no one was named Bunhein. Apparently, his full name is Bun. His first name is Bun, apparently. Bun Hines Butler. And he lives in Tonopah, Nevada. Now, I spent an inordinate amount of time. I don't have a lot of time to research stuff. I spent a lot of time looking into this guy because I was like, this guy has to be a troll, right? This has to be fake. Just from the way he talks to people online and the stuff he talks about? I'm not for sure. Because the more... First off, I was like, this guy's a troll. No one could be this weird. But the more I read, I was like, oh my god, this is super fascinating. So, Bun Hines Butler, he has... I didn't even know this existed. Me, paranormal researchers, constantly talking about Bigfoot and aliens. I was like, this is real? He has a podcast that is only broadcast on Reddit. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, he has a paranormal show called True Tall Tales with Bunyan Butler, which I'm so fascinated I'm so fascinated to listen to this. True Tall Tales with Bunyan Butler. He's also the moderator of 
<laughs> I was like, this can't be real. This guy can't be real. He's the moderator of a subreddit about voles, which is like this tiny varmint. It's like this tiny mouse. So that's all. <laughs> they just post pictures of little mice poking their heads up out of dirt, and they're like, vole, vote for the vole. Here you go. And somehow, despite the fact him having a pretty narrow level of interest, right? He has a paranormal podcast that obviously makes you some sort of mental case that makes you an outcast just in and of itself. Also loves voles so much that he he has a whole subreddit dedicated to them. Somehow he, he takes the time to post on every other single subreddit possible. He is all over the Monster Energy Drink subreddit. He's constantly drinking Monster Energy Drinks. Which is fine, whatever. It's <laughs> not fine for your heart. They're super unhealthy. But he believes that the right energy drink... Basically, like he's some sort of video game character. If you drink the right energy drink at the right time, it will give you abilities. Mostly just a bunch of energy, right? That's the only ability. He tells the story... He's obsessed with drinking stuff. He's obsessed with drinking stuff. And that's where we're going to end up with this conspiracy theory. But he tells a story. He goes, one day he was walking around the mall and he, quote, went to take a diarrhea. I've never heard it referred to as that before. I never heard it as a singular. I've never heard someone go, time to to take a diarrhea. Actually, people don't talk about that. People don't talk about that at all. That's how whenever I call in sick to work, that's the excuse I always use. Like when I'm faking it, right? I say, oh, I couldn't come to work. I had diarrhea because no one ever lies about that, right? (laughs) Except me. Except me. I would always be like, hey, I can't come into work today, dude. Diarrhea. And they're like, okay, Jason, you don't have to tell us that. And they never questioned why I was calling in. (laughs) So anyways, but I never referred to it as I was taking a diarrhea. That just sounds weird. But anyways, so he was taking a diarrhea. He's in the bathroom of this mall. And a guy tries opening the stall door. And he's like, oh, no, dude, I'm not done. He's like holding the stall door shut. And the guy is trying to forcefully open it. And you have to wonder who this mighty man is, right? Because here we have Bun pulling on one angle. You have this guy pulling. This is in Tonopod, Nevada as well. Just know if you go to the bathroom out there, someone will try to break into your stall. But see, luckily, Bun has an ace up his sleeve. He tells us that 15 minutes before he went into the bathroom, he drank a Pipeline Punch, which is a random Monster Energy drink. So he says that gave him the energy to not only hold the door, it probably also gave him the diarrhea, if we want to be honest. It's probably what made him sick to himself. But he not only is he holding the door because he drank this pipeline punch 15 minutes earlier, he said, I don't know how physically this works, he says that the struggle ended with the man on the other side of the door flying. Flying through the bathroom, like, I guess, like, maybe Bun let the guy open the door and he, like, flew around. (laughs) This guy's clearly insane. Anyways, he says that this contest of might between man, muscle, and pipeline punch ended with the other guy flying backwards through the bathroom, smashing into a bathroom sink, and flooding the bathroom with water to the point that... Bun is complaining that his socks are wet. 
Now, I'm going to go out on a limb and say probably none of that ever happened. I'm assuming he ate, a, drank a pipeline punch, gave him diarrhea. He went to the bathroom. Someone knocked on the stall. He, they heard what was going on on the other side of the stall. They walked away. That's probably what happened. But according to him, maybe he made up this whole story because he walked home and people were like, dude, why are your socks wet? And he's like, I got a story to tell you. And the person's walking away because they know it's going to be completely insane. He's obsessed with drinking stuff. He tells a story. He has a long-haired cat that sits on his chest. And he was brushing it one day. And the cat's like, meow, meow. And the only thing he had to put the long hair in that was coming off the cat was this cup of water next to him. So he's brushing the cat off, taking the clump of hair, putting it the water and you're like jason i this story's not going to end where i think it's going to end he's continuing to brush the hair and put more hair in this cup of water brushing more hair off putting more hair in the cup of water and then the cat walks away he does not say if he did this on purpose or if it was an accident i would like to think it was an accident i think we all would but apparently after brushing off the cat and the cat leaving he forgot that he was putting the hair in the water cup and he drank the water <laughs> He drank a bunch of cat hair water. And he goes, I could feel it in my throat. I could feel the hair in my throat. It was tickling. So, <laughs> Jason, you're clearly just talking about a troll. You're clearly talking about a guy who's making stuff up. You just wanted to talk... <laughs> you really just wanted to talk about a guy having diarrhea fighting over a bathroom stall door. Hold on, there's more. This part is true. Now, if you're a fan of fast food restaurants... Take note. He, like I said, he's obsessed with drinking. He's obsessed with sodas and stuff like that. One day, Bun went to a local Burger King. So remember, this he's in Tonopah, Nevada. So the Burger King out there. He walked up to the counter one day and he goes, Hey, kids, you think you're Burger Kings and Queens, but you're really just Burger Surfs. You see that? Yeah, she's actually not that clever. He didn't say that. But anyways, he goes, you see that soda machine over there? It's filthy. That soda machine inside of it is full of dirt and grime and mold. And as he's doing that, they look over and a little kid's pouring a big gulp, glug, 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 drinking it. Kid walks away. He goes, that kid is probably going to die in, in 50 to 60 years if that kid keeps drinking that soda. Eventually, he'll become a mold man. This thing is full of grease. Let me show you guys. So he went out to his car. He got his toolkit. He came back in and he removed the front panel from the Burger King soda fountain. Pulls it off and he goes, look at this. Look at that dirt. And the workers are like, oh, yeah, yeah. They're probably actually calling 911. They're like, why is this guy vandalizing her place? Humoring the weirdo who comes in. He's like, look at all this dirt. Look at all this grime. Look, at you can even see some mold starting here on where the little fountain, like where the juice comes out of the nozzle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks really interesting. It's not supposed to be interesting. They're barely paying attention. It's supposed to be gross. You guys got to take care of this. Now, I'm going to leave this panel off of this machine so you guys can clean it. And when you guys are ready, just give me a call. I'll be down at the A&W down the street. He's going to hang out there for a couple hours, he said. So just call the A&W down the street when you want me to come back and put the panel back on. He leaves the Burger King. And people were like, wait a second. So you just randomly walked into a Burger King and took the panel off and then left? Then put it back on? To at that point, Bun said, oh, no, 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 that never happened. That's just something I dream about every once in a while. Like, that should happen. 
And people are like, so wait a second, you're if you <laughs> if you had a fantasy life, it would be removing panels from Burger King soda fountains. Now here's the thing. Bun, I really want to check out your podcast. I imagine it'll be thoroughly entertaining. But whether or not Bun's a troll, whether or not Bun is mentally unhinged, or just a normal guy who loves drinking cat water, that's true. That thing about the soda fountains is 100% true. You'll see people online go, like people ask, how often do they clean soda fountains? And you, like You'll get responses going, well, you know, we clean them every night. Like That's actually part of the closing duties for these fast food restaurants. We got to take them apart. We clean them every night. Let me tell you about a personal experience I had. I was hanging out with my little brother at the Jack in the Box in the Dalles. And I never go out there. I go out there like once a year, right? Because it's it's like 30 miles away, which to me might as well be on the moon when you don't have a car. We're at the Jack in the Box. My brother is a super germ freak, right? He doesn't like anything disgusting. I, uh, I'm the complete opposite, obviously. And I remember we both got our big sodas and we got our food and we sit down. And as <laughs> he's drinking his soda and I'm drinking my soda, a repairman walks in. And the Jack in the Box manager, and they're standing over by the the fount, soda fountain where we just got our drinks from. And I actually have really good like ability to like tune out <laughs> tune out my brother's voice. So I don't hear anything he's saying. And I'm listening to what's going on. The maintenance man is taking apart the soda machine, and I hear the conversation. The maintenance man goes, "Oh man, look at these nozzles. Yeah, dude, these are like full of mold. Like, yeah, you need to clean these every night." And the store manager. Which means he worked his way up, right? He was probably working there for about a year or two. And then he became manager and he's been working there for a year or two. His answer, when the guy says you're supposed to clean these every night, the guy goes, you can clean those? Like, he didn't even know it was possible to remove that nozzle. So here we had a machine that I'd say for a year minimum, right? Hadn't been cleaned. Full of mold. Full of disgusting stuff. Now, that didn't stop me from drinking my Coca-Cola. But... Because I figure everything I drink has mold in it. I figure everything I eat has some sort of contaminant in it. And I go, oh man, I hope my little brother didn't hear that. And he didn't. So I let him drink his soda in peace. Because otherwise, he would have been very upset. Otherwise, he wouldn't have drank a moldy soda. I told him afterwards. But that's true. Those machines are full of filth and disease. If they're not clean every single night, they are full of mold. In fact, they have done studies on this. When they did this big study, they tested 90 different machines. I think it was in on the East Coast where they did it. Virginia, yeah. They tested 90 different soda machines, and 45 of them had mold, like had like E. coli, had traces of fecal matter in the drinks, and the ice cubes themselves, like in that little ice maker, had more fecal matter in them than the toilet bowls in the same restaurant. And you could go, Jason, that's cool. I don't eat at Taco Bell or eat at El Pollo Loco or, or Cabbage Head or whatever weird fast food restaurants around the East Coast. They're also in Starbucks. Starbucks also has this problem. They have poop ice as well. So a true conspiracy theory. You're like, that's barely a conspiracy theory. You just wanted to talk about, you just want to talk about diarrhea and drinking cat water, and you're trying to turn it into some social message of cleanliness. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's true. Maybe you just read about this lunatic online.
and wanted to talk about it for 20 minutes. Is that so wrong? I mean, it's true. All of the stuff with the contaminants, like, doesn't that make you want to, like, change the world or do something good for the environment? I don't know. I was trying to make it a little more, a little more topical. But yeah, there's that. There's the gross ice thing. But then also the fact that there's a man in Tonopah, Nevada, who drinks cat water. I just can't get over that. I don't even like having a sink. I don't mind drinking sodas that come out of a moldy faucet. But if you put a single hair in my drink, I won't drink that. Even if it's my hair, I'll pull my own hair out of food. I think that's normal. Like if my hair falls on my own food, I will get it out of there. I don't think I'm breaking any boundaries by doing that. But I definitely won't drink hair. That's disgusting. Now, if you gave me a soda and there was mold on the top of it, I'm not going to drink that. But if it came out of a moldy nozzle and I've already drank it and it tastes fine, whatever. But yes, you caught me. I just wanted to talk about this guy, this crazy guy. And he may pop back up. He may pop back up. I found some more crazy posts. But we'll see. Maybe people are done. People are like, no, dude, please don't tell us anymore about that guy. I do have some more stuff we'll see in the future. But for now, Jake, top off this 32-ounce Coca-Cola. I got to drink it. I got to drink it. We're leaving behind Tonopah, Nevada. Take us all the way out to Denver, Colorado. Jake, keep flying this carboner copter and land us here in Denver, Colorado. And as we're walking around, everything becomes sepia-toned because we are now in the year 1875. So there's a couple horses walking down the road. We see, like, a guy standing there, like, saying, hey, for sale, buy all this hay, and no one's buying it. The horses are just eating it for free, and he's too scared to fight the horses off. It's October 21st, 1875. We're on Lawrence Street. Specifically, we're at the address 2334 Lawrence Street. And we see a house. Looks like every other house on this busy, horse-filled street. Inside this house, there's a man named Giuseppe Pecora. And he goes by the name Joseph in town. Everyone knows him as Joseph Pecora. He's a 48-year-old man who's made his business as an organ grinder. Pulling that crank, cranking it around, music's playing. Now, usually when you think of an organ grinder, we imagine like a little monkey dancing next to him with a little hat, holding it out, and a kindly old man cranking this thing, right? I don't know about the monkey thing, but apparently people hated organ grinders back in the past. They were disgusting Right now there's an organ grinder drinking cat water. He's like, why? Why am I doubly insulted? Organ grinders were considered hobos. They were considered bums who were performing the minimum amount of talent, the minimum amount of entertainment. So they weren't considered panhandlers because it was against the law to beg for money in a lot of places back then. But you would say, I'm not begging for money. I'm getting paid because I'm an entertainer. I'm cranking this crank. It's playing this music. You'd have this cylinder inside this organ. They had a bunch of songs. I didn't know that. I thought they just had the circus song. You'd have these organ grinders, and what they would do, you're like, okay, fine. You stand on the street corner, you play your stupid machine, and people walk by, if they want to toss you a penny, they can. But what the organ grinders would do is these things were mobile for a reason. They would follow you down the street. (laughs) They would follow you down the street, cranking that thing as fast as they could, make it super irritating until you gave them money. 
they're actually harassing people. Now, there was probably some purists. There was probably some people who really loved the art form of spinning brass keys against a wax cylinder or whatever it was made out of. But for the most part, they were considered vagrants who were committing the tiniest bit of entertainment so they, so they weren't breaking the law. But it was a racket, right? It was a racket. And like any racket, you're going to make more money if you can expand your empire. So Joseph isn't just keen on cranking his own crank, right? He wants to start seeing, he imagines these little organs all over Denver. He's like basically the Heisenberg of wax cylinders. I don't know what they're made of. I'm easily going to look that up. But anyways, he's sitting there and he's like, I'm building an empire. So he gets his son, he gets one of his kids to start cranking these boxes. And that is Giovanni Picori. So his son, he's 12 years old, and he's out there on another part of town cranking that box, and people are throwing pennies. And if they don't donate to him, if they don't give him any money, he'd walk down the street, and they're like, oh, <laughs> they're all freaking out. They had a horrible time at the circus. They're like, oh, the tickets cost too much. And my wife got stomped by an elephant. No, here's more money. Go away, go away. And Joseph was like, dude, this is totally working out. Like now I have two people cranking that thing. So what's better than two? Anything higher, anything literally higher than two is better. He ends up, though, kidnapping two other kids. He kidnaps two other kids and makes them be organ grinders. So I don't know how you kidnap you kidnap somebody and then give them a box and say, go get money for me. And you got to come back here. I mean, I guess that's what pimps do, right? But like if you kidnap someone from their family, you kidnap a kid from their family and say, you're going to go into the city, you're going to crank this box, you're going to get enough money for a bus ticket or enough money for anything. And then you got to come back to me and give me that money and I'm going to send you back out the next day. Like I would be like, that is a terrible plan. Oh, I wouldn't tell him that. I'd be like, gee, Willikers. And then he would take me down there and I would crank the box and get a bunch of money. I might become a star. I'm on Broadway cranking it. They're like, oh, he's so amazing at it. I'd get money and then I would just go back home. I guess I didn't have bus tickets, but I'd get money and like throw, you know, get a horse, ride a horse home or something like that. Anyways, he did whether or not my, my fantasy would work, whether or not my dream of being the first Broadway organ grinder would work. His plan worked. He did kidnap children and make them be organ grinders. So he now has these four people working around town cranking that box. Well, what happens is, you know, the organ grinder community was actually considered like, if they weren't outright criminals themselves, they were criminal adjacent. They actually at one point banned all organ grinders in New York. And they say, actually, like, originally that was one of the only ways that music was recorded was on those cylinders. So we, as like a society, we lost a lot of early recordings of music. Because in New York, they were just smashing the boxes. They're like, go away, box, you're done. The guy standing next to it, and he's like, well, I guess I'll just be another type of beggar now. Pulls a switchblade and mugs the cops. But they did, they shut it down in New York. There's certain places that you can have these, because they were, if not outright criminal, criminal adjacent. So Joseph Pecora ran, most likely ran with some seedy people. So October 21st, 1875 is when we're standing outside this house. And that's the same night that three acquaintances of Joseph broke into his house. They had heard that he had 
money in there. And they were going to get that money. Basically, this was a home invasion. A robbery. So they break into the house and they robbed him. But when they break into the house, they find Joseph there and the three boys. Leave no witnesses has long been a motto of robbers. They killed Joseph. They slit his throat and then they slit the throats of the three boys that were there as well and left the house. A terrible true crime story, but that's not where the story ends. Because it was only just a few weeks later that the neighbors began to sense there was something wrong with this house. Now, obviously, that should be kind of a given. There's a brutal, quadruple homicide in this house. But even then, even in a city that probably was immune to this level of crime at a certain point, at least this neighborhood... This house, there was something wrong with it. It seemed to be infused with not just the energy of murdered children, but something even darker than that. You begin to get reports of dark shadows moving through the house. You'd be walking by it and you'd look through the window and you'd see just a shadow standing there. A shadow darker than the darkness inside the home. And then the music started playing. Neighbors said during the night you would start to hear this chaotic-sounding harp music. Echo from the empty house. Nobody was here. Not even squatters were going to this place. But you would hear this chaotic harp music coming from the house. Mixed in with the screaming of tortured children. This became so awful. Right. I mean, imagine if this happened, if this just happened for one night in your neighborhood, you might be like, "Oh, that was weird." But this was going this was happening so often. And it would be something like you knew no one was in there. It doesn't say that the cops were being called to investigate. I'm sure they were. Obviously, if you hear children screaming, you're not like, "Nah, people a bunch of kids were killed there recently, but what's the chance of that happening again?" Like obviously, they probably went and checked it out. There's no one in there. But you would hear this harp music. And these kids. I'm not, I'm not going to imitate the sound of a bunch of screaming, tortured children. I think you know. I think you can imagine that. Coming from this house at night. And it got so bad that people were leaving. Not for a day trip. Not, not for the summer. They were selling their house. They're like, I'm done. I cannot live next to the house. That's full of tortured children screaming for eternity. Call me a prude, but that's just too much. So people were selling their property, and the neighborhood started to basically empty out. And yet the phenomenon was still going on. You'd see dark shadows walking through the house, and you'd hear this screaming coming from it. Until one night, probably too late, right? They could have done this on day four of this activity. One night, a mysterious figure... Set the house on fire. Probably not that mysterious. It was probably one of the remaining neighbors. One of the people just got so tired of it. They're like, I really got to work tomorrow. The screaming torture children have been keeping me up for the past couple of weeks. They torched the house. It burned to the ground. They never caught the person who set it on fire. But the screaming stopped. 
The shadows stopped. The music stopped. The house no longer stands where it once stood. 2334 Lawrence Street is the address. I read the story in my favorite book, Haunted Places, The National Directory. We cover a ton of stories from it. I've read this book so many times. It is such a great resource. Check it out. It's in the show notes. I don't get any money. It's no YouTube or Amazon affiliate link or whatever. I just want you guys to buy the book. It's an amazing book. I I get nothing from it. I found this story. It's maybe a paragraph long, right? And I love it, right? (laughs) I mean, I don't love the fact that kids are getting brutally tortured. But creepy story, and then I'm thinking, is it true? Is it true? I mean, we know the story of Bunhine is 100% authentic, but is this story true? So I actually started looking into this, and this is what I found. This story could only be located in two places. One, Haunted Places, a national directory, and he got it from a book called Ghost and Hauntings by Dennis Bardens that was published in 1968. There was no other place on the internet that references this story, that tells this story. So again, like I couldn't go back and get the book from 1968 in time for this episode. So I thought, okay, you know, is this story true? This is so fascinating. This is one of the things I love about doing this show. I was looking up these people. Giuseppe Pecora was his name. I'm looking up the address. What we know is true. This is so interesting. What we know for a fact is true, because I found this on genealogy websites, is there was a man named Giuseppe Pecora. And it says, this is from this uh, website, this website called sarlyjournal.blogspot.com, which is a collection of this one guy's uh, Rocco Vincenzo Sarli's ancestors, and it says this, according to Denver Court Documents, quote, it is undisputed that Giuseppe Pecora was killed on October 21st, 1875, in the Ramshackle House on Lawrence Street in Denver by mostly Italian perpetrators. The other three victims were youths. So that's a coin. So th- we know that that actually did happen. This website talks nothing about ghosts, doesn't mention anything else, but it does give the names. The original story says he kidnapped three kids to run this operation, but looking at the other three victims in the house, one of the names was Giovanni Pecora, which was his son. The other two were older. Uh, Domenico Finelli was 19, and then Domenico. D'Onofrio was 18, so youths, they weren't these little kids, kind of how the ghost story had it out, but those were the three people who were killed in that house, plus Giuseppe. And then, yeah, sure enough, I continued to look up, I found another genealogy website, and it does have Giuseppe, quote-unquote, Joseph Pecora. His date of death is listed as October 1875. It also states that two of his sons died that year as well in Denver, Colorado, him and two other sons, Giuseppe and Giovanni. So Giovanni now, and he's 12 in both of those. So there's a Giuseppe who died that same year who may have also died in the house. Absolutely. You know, again, when you read these stories, it's so old. You think, is this some sort of urban legend? The house burned down. There's no proof of anything. And yet, when you're able to find genealogy records, right, where they're mentioning Denver court documents, the murders took place. That's a fact. So the the family was there. That's huge, even when you're just researching ghost stuff. A lot of times you can't reference anything. 
What I fascinated about this story, right? Like that right there, that we know that the true crime element is 100% true. And this ghost story is really only two other places. That first book, Ghost and Hauntings, and then my favorite book, Haunted Places and National Directory. What's interesting is you can look up 23034 Lawrence Avenue. And it's in the heart of Denver. Like, Denver's a major city right now. There's no horses, there's no hay, there's streets and posh bookstores and coffee shops and things like that. And you're driving through Google Earth, you're looking through all this stuff, and you see, like, just buildings, right? Just buildings with retail stores, Gap or whatever in there, local businesses and all that stuff. 23034 Lawrence Street, because I was driving down Lawrence Street on Google Earth, Everything else is a building. Everything else is some sort of so interesting. Everything else is some sort of residence. 23034 Lawrence Street doesn't exist. Like you see 23035 and over here is 23032 and you're looking at all this stuff. So you kind of got to figure out where it would have been. Where 2334 Lawrence Street used to be now stands a community park. So that makes sense, right? Even when they were rebuilding the city, they never built another building here. Because the people, there was a neighborhood there of houses, of suburbs. People started moving out. This house got burned down. People, I'm assuming, moved back into the other houses, but they would not build a new house on this location. Because of its curse. And then as the city of Denver grew and the residential district got pushed further out from the heart of the city, even then, when they're thinking, oh, what can we do? with Look, we got this huge piece of property. You would still have people who would remember the story. You're like, you don't want to put anything there. First, you had people who experienced the stories of the murders. Then you had people who experienced the demons inside the house. And then eventually you started having urban legends kind of wash over it, right? You had children and their children and their children. Start to hear just tales of this, but people still didn't dare to build anything on that. But eventually even the urban legends got lost. Which means the truth got lost. Where you could probably walk through that area of Denver, Colorado. You could walk into any of those businesses on Lawrence Street and ask them if they've ever heard the story about Joseph Pecora and the terrible murders that took place just a few yards away. I would be shocked if any of them knew it. Because the only place that you can find it is in two books. It's not something you're finding on the Shadowlands. It's not something you're finding on hauntedplaces.org. And it's creepy to think that you have this little community park here that even after all these years, it's been 150 years at this point, no one's ever built another building on there. It's a little community park. It's not in memory to Joseph Pecora. It's just a little park. And people drive by it all the time. People probably sit in this park and enjoy the flowers, enjoy the beauty. And I would be shocked if any of them knew this story, knew that where they are sitting on that bench Four people were brutally slaughtered there. And not even their spirits found rest. Even in death, they were being tortured. And it makes me think how many other how many other horrific events have happened in these just seemingly mundane, if not peaceful locations. And there was a time where everyone knew the story. 
And then a time where just some people remembered it. And then a time where only some people continued to tell it. To a point where the story was a memory. It wasn't even a memory. It was lost to time. And now it's just a little parcel of land that you sit down on when your feet get kind of tired. When you're walking between your job and headed home. Listening to the birds chirp. How many other places has this happened where the stories got completely erased? There's just enough things online that still point to a truth. But there are these genealogy websites. They just confirm that these people lived and died in those locations on that date. I mean, that's really accurate stuff when you can compare it to this ghost story. So the next time you're enjoying your place of beauty, your place of zen, the location you go to to help balance yourself, or maybe just enjoy a nice morning breeze on your face as you sit on a bench contemplating your life. Or <laughs> you're just eating a bag of cheese it doesn't have to be that deep. I think it's good to remember that the place where you find pleasure is a place where someone else may have found pain. Who knows what blood has been spilled on that land that you enjoy so much? Who knows how many children were killed on your favorite bike trail? So the next time you're at that location and you think you're finding peace, just remember, someone else may have been brutally murdered. I've ruined soft drinks for you, and now I'm ruining everything that you like to do. Just remember, though, just remember, just because you can't, like, look it up online. If you can't find any proof that a child wasn't murdered there, who knows? Check the genealogy websites. You just don't know. The point is, is that beauty can hide brutality. Even in the most perfect of places, blood may have been spilled. And just because the dark spirits seem to be gone doesn't mean they've left. They could just be waiting, waiting to gather new souls to join them in their eternal symphony of pain. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.